0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, journalist, and certified professional school counselor, Phyllis Fagel. Her new book is Middle School Matters, the 10 skills kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond, and how parents can help. The middle school years are those most fraught with transformation and are the most confounding to parents and those with the least accessible professional guidance and support. Add to it the fact that back to school today can also mean back to mass shooting fears, and you now have a real recipe for increasing anxiety. Phyllis Fagel has authored a practical guide to thriving in middle school among an age group of students who don't have enough informed support. She's a school counselor in Washington, D.C., a therapist in private practice, is syndicated by Bloomberg, featured in The Atlantic, The New York Times, and writes regular columns for The Washington Post on counseling, parenting, and education. She's written a three-part series for the Washington Post on Middle School. Welcome to the show, Phyllis. Nice to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me on, Catherine. Well, your book has been
0: described as a must-read for all parents and educators of kids in this unique and often misunderstood age group. So, given that description, I guess my first question is, why is your book a must-read? Why should we read it?
1: I think that the middle school phase, and when I talk about tweens, I'm really talking about that 10 to 15-year-old age group, is a group of kids that tend to be neglected. We think a lot about early literacy. We think a lot about college and career preparation, but we tend to lump that age group in with either younger kids or treat middle school like it's a mini high school, and they really have distinct needs of their own that we need to pay attention to if we want to leverage their strengths and address their needs and really prepare them for not just the social demands and academic demands of middle school, but for life, it's a phase where they're so re- ready to go intellectually, but they're still very impressionable.
0: Yeah. Well, you say the age group is ten to fifteen, so I'm thinking the difference between ten-year-olds and fifteen-year-olds is huge. Number one, and one of the things that I think a lot of the schools have wrestled with, at least public schools, uh, like what is middle school? Do you put the ninth grade in high school? Do you put the ninth grade in middle school? Because of you know, because it, it, it's a, a, a group that that is so varied in terms of how, well, physically, how, just physically, you have those who are prepubescent, those who are already gone through puberty. It's a whole sort of cauldron of of a, I don't know what you would call it, a mix. Of, it it uh, is, and,
1: yeah. Well, and, and even within that, it can be confusing because you can have a sixth grader who's, you know, ready, going on 30, or you could have a sixth grader who's going on 3, and there's really no such thing as an average middle schooler. But we do know that there are some characteristics of the age group that, that we've recognized, you know, they want to feel competent, they want to feel like they fit in, they want to serve, they want to lead, and so schools really need to do whatever they can to, to address that desire, to, to really do something meaningful and purposeful as opposed to just kind of shepherd them through this phase and get through it as quickly as possible and move them on to high school.
0: Yeah. Well, given those needs that you just described, why do you think we've sort of been as a as a uh, uh, school curriculum, let's say, here in the United States, why have we been and remiss, as you said in the beginning, in really addressing these needs, you know, just sort of giving lip well, service to middle school?
1: I think that there's been a trend toward more testing and less recess. And I do see the tide starting to turn again. There's a movement afoot to take another look at middle school and how we structure it, but we have to remember that these are kids, and they are still kids who need to play and to need need to figure out social skills, and that's how they get resiliency, and if we keep them in these tightly controlled environments where they have no say over anything, we're really not addressing their need for increased autonomy, increased independence, which is really a developmental imperative for them at this age, and they need to get out, and they need to burn off steam. It's really important, and I think schools, in that race to nowhere, really, in that desire to heighten their academic achievement and increase test scores, I think we've lost that human connection piece that they yeah. so desperately crave.
0: Yeah, well I think you hit on it. I mean, as a social worker, it's one of those stages in my is of uh, separation and individuation and that's terrifying to parents too at the same time. You know, elementary to middle school. Maybe not as terrifying as let's say when kids go from middle school to high school. So you talk about in your book the 10 skills kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond. I would assume there also have to be 10 skills that accompany that that parents need to be able to survive and to help them to negotiate these 10 skills.
1: A hundred percent. And I think part of the confusion for parents is that in elementary school, they they're welcome. Maybe they're volunteering in the classroom or they're active on the PTA. They know the building. Maybe they're dropping their kids off, even walking them in. And suddenly their kids are going to this new building. There's an influx of new peers. They may not know the kids' families. They're not quite sure what their role is in the school, if they're even wanted their kids seem to be sending this signal that they don't want them there, which, by the way, is misleading. Kids do still want their parents involved in middle school just differently. So parents really need to arm themselves with an entirely different approach to parenting, but they still need to be in there and you know, seizing the moment to coach their kids. It's just not quite as directive or intrusive as, it, as they could get away with when the kids were in elementary school when they were eight or six.
0: So walk us through some of those skills. We don't have to go through every single one. What are some of those skills? Let's take one, give examples, for instance. I think it's always good to give examples, maybe personal examples or, you know, you're a therapist, you're a school counselor, uh, you know, everything you've written about obviously is grounded in what you see, what you've experienced. So give it, let's let's give some, yeah. Yeah, I'll start with.
1: So the, the skills run the gamut from make good friend choices to negotiating conflict and creating homework and organization systems and helping them self-regulate emotions and advocate for themselves and learn how to consider others' perspectives. So I'll give you a social example because I think that when we think about the common cultural narrative about middle school, which tends to be overwhelmingly negative, unfortunately, people think it's... The social churn and they think about gossip and they think about bullying and, and bullying does peak in middle school and it is a time when kids might be trying on some mean or aggressive behavior and even really kind sweet kids might try on some mean sweet behavior and parents can have a really hard time making that shift and knowing how to get in there and help them. And what we really want to be teaching kids, if you use the friendship example, is to help them figure out what is a good friend. How can I be a good friend? How can I choose a good friend? Who gives me that sense of belonging? Who makes me feel uncomfortable? And what's really challenging for parents is that this is a phase where, you know, the kids stay stuck in a social group where maybe they're on the periphery, they're kind of hovering, they don't really belong. Maybe those kids are sometimes nice to them, sometimes not nice to them. Maybe they're mean to them or or, you know, gossiping about them or bullying them. And yet your child does not want to pull away. They still want to be a part of that friendship group. And what's really challenging is that in middle school, a parent might want to say, "You can't be friends with that kid. How can you pop I mean, so so in elementary school and have a little bit more control, you have to recognize in middle school that those those friendships are serving some whether they're trying to fit in in a certain clique, whether they want to feel popular, whether they're insecure about themselves, uh, whether they don't know how to identify a good friend and so instead of telling them." Make observations and ask questions and inquire. You know, it looks like you're not as happy when you're with that friend group. What do you think that's about? And really get them to come to their own conclusions. And also recognize you're going to have to be very patient at times because it can take a long time for kids to recognize that they're sacrificing themselves. So that well, was when an I hear you talking, where- I'm almost
0: getting it. In- exhausted listening to you because you're talking about you have to be patient which you do and you have to be able to communicate with your kid but you also have to be vigilant it seems don't you I mean it it, it, you really have to always I the only word that does come to mind is vigilant I mean because kids don't always you know it's not always right up there right out front you know unless you have to pick up the don't you have to pick up the cues? I'm losing you a little bit sometimes when you're talking to me. It's a little bit of an echo.
1: Oh, okay. Are you able to hear me now?
0: Yeah, now I can.
1: Okay. So, you know, it's interesting. I agree with you completely. And I was talking to some high school students. So, I, you know, I call them recent middle school graduates in my book. And one of the things that they tell, told me that they wanted parents to know is that even when your child isn't sharing Even when they're not asking for advice, they still want that advice. They still want you asking questions. And when you say vigilant, I think that's such a great word because you do want to be spot-checking their texts to make sure that they're not getting themselves in hot water. You do want to be there as a safety net so that you can offer some help or offer some advice or problem-solve with them as opposed to telling them what to do. And it is an age where it's pretty typical for a child to turn a bit more inward and not be as forthcoming about what they're going through.
0: So, what would you say would be the differences between boys and girls? Are there differences in terms of how they communicate, whether they communicate? Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of controversy about that. You know, people say, well, boys don't really, they kind of don't want to talk. They And, and girls are out there and, and they'll express their feelings more readily. Is that true? Or have you found that in your experience?
1: If you look at it more globally, believe that it's acculturation and they do want to talk, they do want to communicate but parents need to be a bit creative so they might want to play a video game or ask their son to teach them how to play a video game or talk when you're in the car and you're not necessarily making eye contact so it feels less intrusive or finding some neutral topic to just kick off a conversation and and see where the breadcrumbs lead. So They may not be talking about something that seems like a highly freighted topic or something that seems very serious, but those really smaller moments are important too and often lead to to more meaningful disclosures if you're patient. Again, patient (laughs) is a key word with middle schoolers. And then for girls, uh, they might be more willing to share, but they also need a, a different kind of support because middle school is when, for many girls, they experience a huge drop in confidence. When they might give up on themselves too quickly, or they might feel like they shouldn't take credit for something that they've accomplished, or they're quick to blame themselves when something goes wrong. So this is a time when mothers and fathers really need to be, you know, monitor, monitoring their daughter's well-being and making sure that their messaging is about process as opposed to outcome.
0: Yeah, one of the things about um, well, there are obviously we've covered some of the topics, but. Um, I think one of the other things that you mentioned in your book, uh, and we have things changed, let's say, over there are new, and I sort of mentioned this, I think, in the beginning in the intro, you know, worried about school violence, for instance, and bullying, social media, there's all, you know, in the past 10 years, we've introduced a whole lot of new kinds of uh, issues that middle school kids have to deal with. How has that changed? And is it? Does it really change how we interact with our kids? Does it? Maybe it doesn't matter what the new topics are. The, the communication should be the same.
1: I think everything has gotten a little bit younger. So our kids are getting exposed, and I do have a sixth grader myself. My youngest is in middle school. I think they're exposed at younger ages to those dark images and to items in the news, and I think in terms of the developmental phase, what's really complicated is that if kids see something that they think they shouldn't have seen or that they don't understand, a tween might not necessarily go to their parent and ask for clarification, which means that often they're getting their information or misinformation from another seventh grader. So parents need to be anticipating questions and having a sense of what they've been exposed to. I think a lot of times we think we're being protective by not talking about let's say, a school shooting, and assume they haven't heard about it. But because of social media, chances are they have heard about it. Chances are lower that they're going to ask their parent about it. So we need to be proactive in, in asking them if they have any questions. We don't necessarily want to go into great detail, but we want to figure out what do they need from us. Do they need more information? Do they need clarification? Do they want reassurance? And just make sure that we're addressing those those needs as they come up. But I definitely well, do- see more anxiety
0: and and i would imagine there's more there's more anxiety as we say more anxiety with the kids but then more anxiety with the parents because not all parents are really necessarily able or feel ca- suited to be able to talk about let's say school shootings i mean how much do you how kids, I mean, it used to be like when, you know, if you're talking to kids about uh, sex and where babies come from, there were all these books about how much you tell a first grader (laughs) or second grader. But I don't know if we really have that sort of playbook for um, school shootings, for instance.
1: Yes. And I do do get into that a little bit in the book. I I, I talk about how kids younger than twelve. for the most part, don't do well with violent images. So you do want to be monitoring their online exploration to the extent you can and recognizing that something might come through that you didn't want them to see and then be prepared to talk about it. But the other thing to keep in mind is that kids may not have the sense that something happened far away or that it's rare or that... There are systems in place to protect them. They may feel disempowered. So one of the best things you can do with kids who are feeling anxious because of things happening in the news or in, in society is to give them back that sense of control to explain whatever emergency procedures are in place to keep them safe, to let them know that there are people working to keep them safe. And if they're really feeling that lack of control to give them something to do with that energy, you know, we saw after Marjory Stoneman shootings that the, those students agitated for better gun control and for gun reform, and we saw that the principal, so the adult in that situation who also really was traumatized, she responded by asking people to send letters of support to her students, and that's that natural instinct to take back a sense of control, and that is really the antidote to that atmospheric pressure that kids are feeling is to give them back that sense of control. And to answer their questions as needed, not to protect them from all information, but to try to shield them from the violent images and then to be there to support them as they're trying to make sense of it. And it's hard because we can't make sense of it all of the time.
0: Phyllis, I have a question. Uh, you know, I was looking and reading your bio, obviously, which is very impressive, and you went to Dartmouth, you uh, undergraduate Northwestern, and then Hopkins for a, a counseling degree. So, you yourself, talk about a little, your middle school experience. It must have been pretty good. I mean, you've done really, really well, and so I'm assuming that your middle school and how you handled it went pretty well. So, um, can you share some yeah, of that? I mean...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually went. So I went to middle school in the late '80s, and it was junior high back then. So it was seventh grade and eighth grade. And some vivid memories from that time period. I definitely was a kid who moved off a fair amount. I was young. I was not one of the more precocious or sophisticated kids. I. Really was just kind of muddling my way through and you talked a little bit about how kids are so different from sixth grade to eighth grade and that was true for me too. I think I did a lot of growing up by eighth grade and was a little more socially savvy by eighth grade. I wouldn't say I had a negative experience or, or a, an especially positive experience. I think it was almost like that holding that I'm talking about that I think we still treat middle school as today, kind of a, an afterthought. You know, let's just get them through, push them on and go on to high school. Whereas, you know, my attitude is that this is just this prime time to capture and really imprint our values on our kids and give them the skills that they need to be successful because it's such such a unique moment developmentally where their brain and everything about them is growing so fast and they're so receptive to new ideas and they're wired for moral action. And instead we're kind of letting them stagnate and we're dictating everything that they should do. And then just pushing them through to high school.
0: Phyllis, I know you work both in public school and private schools and in, in the Washington DC area. And I wonder, is there any difference in the way the schools public or private uh, help middle students negotiate getting through middle school, or any differences that stand out to you?
1: So I've worked in both a large public middle school in the area and also a small progressive K-8, and I think there are benefits to both. So if you're in a large public middle school that's a little more structured, maybe a little more bureaucratic, maybe they don't have recess and and they have more testing, none of which is particularly developmentally appropriate. But on the other hand, you really do need to learn to self-advocate and to look out for yourself and to negotiate a whole influx of new peers, new friends. So there are skills you pick up. The benefit I found of being in a smaller progressive K-8 is that first, the research shows that, the, that kids thrive more and experience less of a drop in confidence when they don't make that transition in sixth or seventh grade. Plus, you're able to add more recess, more play, and give kids more of a voice, more leadership opportunities, and there's more of a connection with both adults and a consistent set of peers, which is really important developmentally for for kids who are forming their, their identity during those years.
0: Now you are you are a counselor, but you're and and a therapist in private practice. So in private practice, uh, I don't know if you do family therapy or one-on-one with 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 kids, individuals. But what kind of problems when you? Because by the time they get to you in that situation, things are pretty serious. By the time you take your kid or your family to a therapist, you have some really uh, major, usually overriding problems. So what are those? Pro- yeah.
1: A typical problem I might see with a 13 or 14 year old in private practice is usually social or they're shutting down academically. So I've seen kids who are all or nothing in their thinking, and so maybe in elementary school, they were straight A kids and they go to middle school and they maybe get their first B and they lose their confidence and they decide they don't want to try at all. They kind of shut down. Maybe they stop wanting to go to school and the parent will panic and say, what has happened to my formerly bubbly, happy kid who loved to go to school and loved to learn? You know, what what can we do to to turn this around? Socially, what I'll see is a kid is either experiencing something along the lines of bullying, or they've been the target of gossip. Maybe they've been ousted by a peer group, and they're having trouble finding their way. And that can lead to depression and anxiety on the part of the child, and also on the part of the parent. You know, there's that expression, "You're only as happy as your unhappiest child." That can be pretty brutal for parents to see their kids suffer as well.
0: How does social media fit into all of this? I mean, of course, that's I, this is the you know this is the question. I'm sure that you get asked a lot, but that's what seem to me the huge change in, in, in middle schoolers because of their access to social media. But not only, you know, kids now who are in middle school, their parents are also, you know, have been part of social media for, for a long time. So the whole sort of the whole picture changes, doesn't it?
1: It really does. And I think. People forget that it infiltrates every aspect of a kid's life. And then if you think back to middle school and you think about the intense emotions you experienced and the highs and lows you had to negotiate all day long – socially. Imagine at the end of the day, instead of getting a break from that, you go home and you then have to deal with texting and Snapchat or Instagram and curating your image and wondering what you're missing out on. So you're really never getting a break on the social side. And then academically, we know that kids who have a phone in sight drop a full letter grade and they're not efficient, even if the phone is off, even if they're not using it. So They don't yet have the ability to take care of all of their needs in terms of organization and executive functioning. So parents have to be very hands-on in middle school when it comes to that phone and uh, hopefully delay some of those apps until later when they're able to handle them more effectively. And there, there have been some kids who their parents have actually taken away the smartphone and given them a dumb phone or... Taken away their access to certain apps just because they were getting themselves into hot water and they weren't ready for the responsibility.
0: Yeah, that was my question. How, what age do you give them a cell phone? I mean, I, before we, we were talking before the show, I said I have uh, grandchildren, a set of twins, a year and a half, and they're already crawling toward the cell phone and and know how to beginning to know how to use it. it it's really scary. It's sort of <laughs> um, yeah, I no, it's
1: yeah. I, I agree, you know with my sixth grader, he doesn't have a phone. My older two had one in seventh grade, and I learned through they're now in at the end of high school, and I would have delayed if I knew then what I know now. I don't really see the benefit. I think a lot of parents give phones because of their own anxiety, they worry that they won't be able to reach them. they want to know that they got to soccer practice okay, they want to know what they want them to order for dinner, but really there's no need for a child to have a smartphone in sixth grade, for instance. They could, if it's really important that you're able to reach them, you can get them just a phone that has simple ability to make a call or send a text to their parents. So I'm, I'm in favor of delaying simply because it gets in the way of developing so many skills that are incredibly important at this age, like face-to-face communication and reading social cues, and so much gets lost when that communication happens online. So, and the research also is, emerging but we do know that more than 2 hours a day is damaging to their to their development. Well, can it be
0: used in a positive way? I mean, I always feel like I use my cell phone in a good way like getting information, looking up stuff that maybe I would have looked up in an encyclopedia 20 years ago, but
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, kids can use their phone to do FaceTime to study together. They can use it to make flashcards. They can use it to do online organizers. They can use it to track their schedule. I'm not anti-technology. I just think that, that kids this age need more oversight and control than, is, than we typically give them. I don't think any parent wants to or needs to read every single text or message they send, but I do think we need to be spot-checking and using mistakes as opportunities to coach them and teach them and talk about online civility and offline civility and how they should match. I think as parents, we have to recognize that it's not online or offline. Their, their lives are bleeding together, so if they have a fight with somebody online at 10 o'clock at night, that's coming into the school the next day with them.
0: Yeah. So much more to talk to you about, but but we have thirty seconds left to go. So uh, I, I I recommend people get your book, uh, Middle School Matters: The Ten Skills Kids Need to Thrive in Middle School. We covered some of them, obviously not all of them, uh, and we've been talking to Phyllis Fagel, and you can go online at your website, Phyllis, to get more information about your book and the and what you're doing because you do a lot of lecturing too across the country.
1: Yes. So I, the book is Middle School Matters and it's available anywhere. Books are sold. My website is uh, www.phyllisfagelmyname.com. I do a lot of tweeting as well at with Fagel with just thanks articles. so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: Great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.